This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And happy to be here with you this Monday night. There's a lot of news out there. If you want to give us a call and talk about some of it, feel free, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And a poll that came out over the weekend shows Trump with a double-digit lead over Biden. Uh, that's how it's being reported uh, by Fox News. Listen to how it's being reported by the Washington Post. WAPO ABC poll. Biden faces criticism on economy, immigration and age. A finding that shows Trump leading Biden by a wide margin does not match other recent polling. However, suggesting it is an outlier. <laughs> when their poll doesn't have their guy looking good, they say it's an outlier. I got to tell you, it's their own poll. It's so funny. But that, that's the uh, story. Let me give you some numbers on this. <clears throat> Here we go. So the Washington Post and ABC News released a poll on Sunday, which found that if the 2024 presidential election were held today, Trump would win 52% to 42% over Biden. Yep, you heard that right. Trump wins by 10 points if the election were today. Respondents also held a poor, uh, poor view of Biden's handling of the economy and the U.S.-Mexico border, in addition to his age. <laughs> Would you look at that? They don't like Sleepy Joe. Anyway, the Post um, downplayed the results of its own poll after it showed Trump with such a commanding lead. Uh, and I read you the headline from, from both of these. Because uh, I, I like to be uh, like Fox, fair and balanced. And now, um, what, what's funny about this is that... Uh, Trump's the guy that's four times indicted, twice impeached, facing, I don't know, seven, is it 71 felony counts, uh, 400 years in prison, or 91 felony counts, forgive me. I mean, it, it's just laughable. And Joe Biden's the guy squeaky clean. He's never done anything wrong, right? He's never done anything wrong because there isn't the politician out there's ever done anything wrong unless it's Trump, right? Or, or is there another one, right? I think there's actually news that we talked about. We had a guest on it and everything last week. Yeah, Senator Bob Menendez, a United States senator, who's been indicted for bribery. Yeah, we talked about that. And uh, he came out swinging. You know, he took to the microphones today to say, I am innocent until proven guilty. Now, what's funny is him and his wife were indicted. And he didn't say, we are innocent. <laughs> he said, I am innocent. I thought that was really telling. Uh, but I want you to hear 
uh, Menendez talking about how he earned all this money because, you know, when they, they found money stuffed away in his clothing, just packs of cash, uh, gold bars, all sorts of stuff given to him by by people that he's done political favors for, which, you know, for many suggests that there may have been a bribe there. Lo and behold. Anyway, Menendez um, was there saying, look, I have lawfully earned this money as a senator. Listen to this. For 30 years, I have withdrawn thousands of dollars in cash from my personal savings account, which I have kept for emergencies and because of the history of my family facing confiscation in Cuba. Now, this may seem old-fashioned, but these were monies drawn from my personal savings account based on the income that I have lawfully derived over those 30 years. I look forward to addressing other issues at trial. All right, so there's Senator Bob Menendez again. Now, he was um, you know, investigated federally uh, a couple of years back, and there was a hung jury there in New Jersey. Then now they're doing this out of New York, and it seems to be a more serious case. Now, what I think is important is the fact that we have to take some sort of heart in this, right? Now, there's two sides to the coin. I don't want to underestimate this. So it's my supposition that Bob Menendez, and I, I, I take exception to some of his stuff, but he's always been pretty good with Israel, pretty good on Iran uh, in terms of, you know, being against the Iran deal for the most part, um, realizes the threat that autocracy brings because he's, uh, you know, a uh, son of Cubans. Uh, but he's, you know, definitely left of center. So there's a lot of issues we don't see eye to eye on. And, uh, and I met him years ago. Wasn't the nicest guy to me. So be that as it may, I do realize that He's a difficult cog in the Washington, D.C. bubble. Obama and him didn't have a great relationship. Some suggest that Joe Biden is Obama 2.0. If that's the case, then maybe Joe Biden doesn't have a great relationship with him. I don't know. What I do know is that if you want to get rid of Joe Biden, this is a good stepping stone, right? To say, you know, there's a Democrat politician out there that's facing corruption charges and it looks like it looks really bad. That to me sets the stage to say, you know, first it was a senator. Next, it was a president. Right? We just we happen to catch this guy with 20 different shell accounts, all giving money to the same, you know, four or five people last name Biden. And uh, everything kind of led back to Hunter and Joe. So I think we'll continue to unravel that stuff. But it seems to be like the writing is on the wall that. Somebody somewhere in Washington is actually doing uh, the right thing, even if they're doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, for some sort of political motivation or payback. What well, what's interesting in this case is that while Menendez is maintaining his innocence, and that's his right, one of his colleagues in the lower house, my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, all out crazy herself, she decided to uh, go on Face the Nation this weekend and she wasn't as complimentary as some have been for good old uh, Bob Menendez. Listen to what she had to say about the good senator. Senator Bob Menendez of New Jersey, as you know, has just been indicted on bribery charges. Should he resign? And what do you think of his statement that it has to do with him being a Latino? Mm, well, you know, I think it's the situation is... Uh, 
quite unfortunate, but I do believe that it is in the best interest uh, for Senator Menendez to resign in this moment. As you mentioned, consistency matters. It shouldn't matter whether it's a Republican or a Democrat. The details in this indictment are extremely serious. They involve uh, the nature of of not just his, but all of our seats in Congress. And while, you know, as a Latina, there are absolutely ways in which there is systemic bias, but I think what is here in this indictment is quite clear. And um, and I believe it is in the best interest to maintain the integrity of the seat. Uh, I want to emphasize that uh, all people are, they must uh, be extended the presumption of innocence until proven guilty. So there we have it. AOC all out crazy. She says, well, we might have to protect his seat by getting rid of him. He should resign. (laughs) I love it when this happens. Uh, Honestly, there's uh, zero confidence in him right now. They're just after the power. You know, she, she follows up with saying, obviously, he's innocent until proven guilty. But she doesn't come to his aid or defense or anything like that. She goes straight, straight, straight in. for the kill, saying, look, we need to protect that seat in New Jersey. Otherwise, the Republicans will take it. It's soft. It's a soft target. So all I'm saying is um, things are looking up, right? Things are looking up, even if they're for the wrong reasons, whether it's for her political expediency, whether it's uh, or the Democrats' political expediency, or uh, if it's uh, another bigger political move to uh, start setting the stage to maybe indict Biden on something that looks ugly, or at least use that as a threat and say, look, we got Menendez. We can come after you too. It's time for you to take a hike, old man. Maybe that'll happen. Who knows? Um, It seems to me that the Democrats are behind pushing Biden out. And that's why these polls are coming out from the Washington Post with Trump leading by 10. If Democrats didn't want that to happen, it wouldn't happen. When the media says negative things about Biden, the media is setting the stage for a softening of Biden for an exit of Biden. Anyway, straight ahead, I want to talk about what's killing America Uh, And, you know, what's going on with the radical left and why and how are they continuing to destroy so many of our cities? We're going to do that uh, with uh, Jason Rance. He's coming up next. Plus, your calls a little bit after that. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. Amigos, welcome back. And we're talking about this poll with Joe Biden. Trump is up by 10. Biden's down by uh, by 10. And uh, he would lose today by uh, by 10 points. That's uh, that's remarkable to me that this is coming from the, the Washington Post. And I'm, speaking of um, Washington, I want to talk about Seattle, Washington also in a moment. Uh, but I want to bring in our guest. Jason Rance is, uh, is a big time talker in Seattle. You see him on uh, the Tucker Carlson show back in the days uh, all the time. I think he was the the most frequented guest on the program. 
He's a, he's a terrific broadcaster, and he's got a brand new book. We're going to talk about that as well. We're going to do a deep dive with Jason Rance, and he's here with us. Jason Rance, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you so much for inviting me back. I appreciate it. You bet. So uh, we were talking right before you came on. We were talking about this poll, the Washington Post poll, uh, that has Trump ahead by 10. And, uh, of course, in, in their subhead uh, in the um, – of the of the actual poll in the article in the Washington Post that they put that, well, you know, it's clearly an outlier, but it still suggests that people are uncomfortable with his policies and his age. And I thought it was funny, uh, but but I, I try to read between the lines sometimes. And I think, you know, WAPO is putting out a poll against Biden that it's definitely something the Democrats want out there. It's not them just being honest journalists. Or do you think I'm wrong? No, I think they do want it out there. I think there's a lot of panic there, particularly when it comes to the third parties. There, there was a story today about that. And now, you know, Hillary Clinton is warning the Biden camp about that, and they're kind of freaked out. And so this kind of jarring poll, and yes, it is very clearly an outlier. However, it does continue to keep the trend in the direction of Trump, right? There's no doubt about that. All the polls show it either tied or him up by a couple points. Now, I believe if he's down by three points, it's a winner for him because I don't think polls are very good at reaching Trump supporters. And I still think there are people who don't want to say that they'll end up voting for Trump, particularly if they're independent or moderate Democrats, because they know what life has been like under Joe Biden. They don't like it. And if this is the wake up call that the Democrats need, so be it. I, I don't know if they're going to really be able to respond because they're still handicapped by their guy. He, he's not a strong candidate. People don't want him on the top of the ticket. And they continue to, frankly, just lie about what everyday Americans are experiencing and witnessing. You can't tell us Bidenomics when people are struggling. You can't tell us there's no border crisis when now you even have Democrats calling it out. Oh, I think you're 100% right there. And, and you know, it's not just Bidenomics and the border crisis, but all of that kind of leads into crime that's taking over so many big cities. In New York City, you've got crime that is, is being managed. I mean, the cops are being very, very active, thankfully, but it's still out of control. People are on mopeds running around like madmen. And, and it's not exclusive to New York City. I mean, I saw this article no. last week. You're part of town. The Seattle City Council voted 6-3 on Tuesday to crim- recriminalize public drug use. And, and I, when I read this, I thought I was reading The Onion, uh, you know, or, or, or Babylon Bee. And uh, they, they're going to give the city attorney's office the authority to prosecute these crimes. Now, if you decriminalize this, obviously you're inviting public drug use. And now that it's rampant and destroying humanity... Now you say, oh, you know what, maybe we should go back to prosecuting this crime. I think pro-crime progressive prosecutors that coddle criminals are, are literally destroying the fabric of our society. What was the logic behind this? Well, one might say it's what's killing America, which is a good portion of my book is focused on, on mm-hmm. all of this. I mean, so you've got, all, you've got several different issues at, at play here. For, for one thing, just to, to be clear about what Seattle did. They didn't really recriminalize. They took a step in the right direction, there's no doubt. A few years ago, the state Supreme Court in Washington, which is very, very far to the left, legalized drugs by, de- by declaring unconstitutional our felony possession law. 
And as a result of that, all the state legislature had to do was add one word to the law, which was knowing possession. Knowing was the word. They chose not to do that because they wanted to give decriminalization a try. You had Oregon basically do the same thing, except that was done via an initiative. And it's been a total failure. So two years later, after record high overdose deaths, the city of Seattle um, decided to move forward with a new state law that basically said, okay, you can now prosecute. They're not going to prosecute because we don't have enough cops to implement, and we don't even have the full policy. They passed a policy that doesn't actually exist yet. And what they signaled is that they're going to give multiple shots to people to escape any kind of consequence if they indicate an interest in drug treatment. I believe in drug treatment over criminal penalties unless a serious crime has been committed. But there are people who are just choosing not to engage at all with the treatment that's being offered. And they just continue to create more victims out of the crimes that they're committing. At the same time, you have DAs, again, not just to your point, it's not just in in certain cities. It's happening all across the country. Prosecutors are refusing to prosecute. And you've got judges who aren't very judgmental. And as a result, you've got all of these criminals who are able to escape any kind of consequence. And guess what? All that does is embolden them to continue that kind of behavior. And ultimately, they take take a step further and further and further until ultimately they end up committing a crime that they're not going to be able to take back. Man, I, I tell you, it's, uh, I love talking to you because you always have um, the skinny on everything and, and the, the way things are presented, you'd think that they're <laughs> out, out there, you know, trying to make a difference. And it sounds like they're not going to make any difference that this was just um, some political sleight of hand. Yeah. I, I honestly, in the short term, I don't expect anything is going to change now. Long term, again, step in the right direction. We'll see how this next council election goes. We have uh, all the incumbents, their positions are up. Not everyone is running again. And we can take a step again in the right direction or we can go farther to the left. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic, but I've been burned by that optimism in the past. So I'm just going <laughs> to wait until November and see where things go. But I mean, you know, when you look around the country, some cities have taken that right step uh, and others have not. You look at San Francisco where they they booted from office their DA, Chesa Boudin. They recalled mm-hmm. the school board directors. But then you have Chicago, which went with, with Brandon Johnson, who is farther to the left than Lori Lightfoot. So depending on the community that we're talking about, there are some glimmers of hope. But part of the reason why I wrote What's Killing America is I, I don't think people are putting – the, the, connecting the dots on their own. I, I think that it, it's really easy to fall for some of the progressive nonsense, the talking points that they put out there, because on paper, it off, oftentimes it sounds very virtuous and, and you know, like, like it's actually possible and even innovative, but they're failing. And if you don't know what specifically is failing, you just know the end results, you're not going to be able to change anything. Well put. Folks, we're on with Jason Rance. He literally wrote the book on this stuff. It's called What's Killing America? Inside the Radical Left's Tragic Destruction of Our Cities. We're going to get into the book straight ahead. Stick with us. Jason Rance is our guest. I am Rich Valdez. It's America at Night. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. We are coming right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? 
you need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. America, welcome back. And we're talking about a stunning new book about how America's biggest cities are being destroyed by progressive policies and woke Democrats. A lot of Americans really don't know how badly the biggest cities that are run by Democrats are really deteriorating. And too many Americans have been complacent for way too long, assuming that the craziest elements of the radical left would stay confined to the East and West Coast. But crime, addiction, homelessness, left-wing school indoctrination, so-called inclusive housing policies, outrageous taxes, and so much more. They don't stay in the big cities like Los Angeles, Chicago, Portland, New York, Seattle, San Francisco. The effects of the left-wing ideology that we see out of there is spreading, like wildfire in my opinion, and it alarms me and it should alarm you too. Now, Jason Rance is a big-time radio host. He's a journalist. You see him on Fox News very regularly. And he's written this book. He's breaking it down. And he was there on the front lines. He's, he's in Seattle. And he's with us now. Jason Rance, welcome back. Let's uh, dig into the book. I'm reading the introduction here. Uh, the book is called What's Killing America? Inside the Radical Left's Tragic Destruction of Our Cities. Jason Rance, what was the impetus for you in particular, being that you're already out there writing articles, you're on TV, you're on the radio? Um, why did you want to write a book and chronicle all of this? I wanted to write a book because ultimately, whether we're talking about radio or television, there's only so much you can get into in one segment. Yeah. And when we have seriously a country that's on the line, I think it deserves just a deeper dive where it can all the information that you might need in order to help save your individual city is just there for you. It's spelled out. There are many instances in which we will notice what's going on. Homelessness is out of control. The, the drug crisis is out of control. Fill in the blank because so much is out of control. But you won't necessarily know why it is the way that it is. Local media does not connect dots for individuals. They'll do very transactional stories. Here's the latest crime that occurred. Here's when it occurred. And then they move on. But they don't say, actually, this could have been prevented had we not passed this piece of legislation or had we not at the prosecuting attorney's office decided to adopt this strategy. And as I was saying, if you don't know the, the what behind everything that's happening, you're not going to be able to argue to 
rescind those laws, walk back those strategies. If you don't know why the radical left believes what they do, it's very hard to have a true debate, an actual argument as you're talking with your friends and neighbors about the future of your community. I can go outside right now. I'm in New York today. I can go outside, talk to 10 random people and ask them what harm reduction is. Mm -hmm. Not a single person will be able to tell me. Right. And yet harm reduction is a strategy that is responsible for the drug crisis that we have in this country, and it is being implemented in every single Democrat-run city, county, and state. It's adopted by the Biden administration. I can do the same thing with housing first. No one knows what that is, but guess what? It is why we have a homelessness crisis that's out of control, and it's happening in all those same exact places, and it's being implemented nationwide by the Biden administration. How do we fight back if we don't know these things? How do we fight back when we don't know how to read so, or sort of decode the language of the progressive left when they're pitching their so-called compassionate ideas and innovative ideas? You're not going to be able to win the battle unless you know what it is we're, we're dealing with. And so what's right. killing America just basically gives you everything you need to know in order to understand the current crises why we're experiencing them, what actually works, and how we can start winning these battles. Jason Rance, I want to make sure people get out there and buy a copy of the book, What's Killing America? Uh, the Radical Left's Tragic Destruction of Our Cities. And I want you to dig into the two examples you just made, because I think they're interesting, harm reduction and housing yep. first. Uh, I have never even heard this term, housing first. I have heard of harm reduction, but uh, for the audience, explain them. Yeah, so let's start with housing first because it's, this is the main policy that we're dealing with. Housing first means, as it says, we put a homeless person in housing first, and then we go after whatever was the reason for why they were homeless to begin with. On paper, it sounds great. I mean, they're homeless. They're without home. Let's give them a home, and they're no longer homeless. The problem is they don't actually treat the underlying condition. This is all called low barrier housing, which essentially means there's no condition of entry. So long as you're not violent, if you are an addict and that's the reason why you're homeless, you can still use while in the subsidized housing. There's no mandate that an individual gets the treatment that they so desperately need. And so what you end up happening have happening is that they're just still kind of homeless. Nothing's really changed except we put them on a government uh, subsidized housing program forever which doesn't help them, doesn't help the community because they're still, it's not like they're staying in their home. They're still leaving the house and committing crimes. And then of course, the only people that benefits the, the homeless industrial complex, which is making a ton of money to keep these people in the housing. Now harm reduction, very similar in that we're trying to reduce the harm of illicit substances. So rather than have someone share a needle, which can pass bloodborne disease or share a crack pipe because of the bacteria, we hand them out clean versions of that. So we're basically enabling their addiction. Right. And again, they'll tell you that this is, well, you know, you got to be where they are. You got to go to them first. And then when they gain trust, then they'll take you up on your offers of, re of, of uh, treatment. They don't offer the treatment. And just some, I directly quote left-wing radical left activists talking about harm reduction and they don't even really hide it. They don't want to stigmatize drug users, so they don't want to offer treatment because it might be too, might be too judgy. They'd be too judgmental. And, and ultimately, we're just killing these people. And it's immoral. 
our tax dollars are going to it on top of that. You're right now, chances are 97% of the people listening right now have their dollars going to purchase crack pipes, uh, clean needles, or something called booty bumping kits, which was a blast when I got to explain that on Fox news the other day. Wow. We'll, we'll do that in the next segment, folks. <laughs> don't, don't Google it, folks. Do not Google. <laughs> it might scare you. What's killing America inside the radical left's tragic destruction of our cities? We're on with the author, Jason Rance. And uh, again, this is stuff I think we know, but we just don't know all of the details of it. I think you've spelled it out really, really well in this book. Check out the book. Get a copy. Get an extra copy to give to a friend that needs to know what's going on in America. The book, again, What's Killing America? Inside the Radical Left's Tragic Destruction of Our Cities. Jason Rance is the author. We're coming right back with him. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, Familia, welcome back. And you guys remember a couple of months ago over the summer uh, that there was a story that came out that said that there were crack pipe vending machines. I think they were in New York City and they sold out of, uh, of crack pipes. Uh, within hours of being placed uh, in, in public, uh, you know, display. And and I thought to myself, man, that's crazy. But when our guest, Jason Rance, the author of What's Killing America, Inside the Radical Left's Tragic Destruction of Our Cities, when he mentioned that in addition to uh, some of the crazy products that uh, people are handing out in our government to to help people like clean syringes and crack pipes, there's also something called a... What kind of kit was it, Jason Rance? <laughs> Booty bumping kits. What do you do with those? Okay, so it is a so you get a syringe, you remove the needle, you fill it with water and meth, and you inject it rectally. And apparently, that is the uh, quickest way to get a really significant high. It's wow. an indication that someone is very, 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 very desperate and very addicted. And rather than help that person, we are giving them the tools that they need taxpayer funded to continue. And no one really knows about that. Wow. I've never heard of such a thing. The last time I heard of something like that was when college kids were taking boxed wine and, uh, you know, going through the back door. And I thought that was crazy. I was like, what? the things kids are doing in college. I'm only 45. I never heard of such a thing uh, when I was, you know, in that age. Anyway, that's crazy. So these people are injecting themselves in their rear end to try to get more high than they normally would get uh, with this yep. rectal dose of methamphetamine. That's absolutely crazy. And this is something that the government is helping and supporting. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, this is going on all across the country, people don't realize how bad it is. And oftentimes when they find out, they're like, oh my gosh, how, how, did, how did we allow that to happen? Well, it's because you didn't know. And, and you don't know what you don't know. People have families, they have lives, 
they've got jobs. It's hard to pay attention to all of this. And so that's, again, that's another reason why I wrote What's Killing America. And, you know, it's broken down into two sections. So the first section is crime, homelessness. These are the policy choices and laws that impact our everyday lives. And then part two focuses on how the policies are forcing us into certain kinds of lifestyles. So the truth about EVs and the cost to electric vehicles and how it's never going to truly work out, the war on cars, the war on housing, all of these big issues get their own chapter so that we can, again, just see what's going on all across the country. And I hope people realize bad policies spread. They don't stay in these big cities. It's not Las Vegas. What happens there doesn't stay there. A horrible policy in Chicago ends up getting statewide with cashless bail. A horrible policy in Seattle ends up going statewide with a ban on vehicular pursuits by police. We have countless examples, and that's not even getting into the education system and how it's been corrupted by the radical left. Until we truly understand what's going on, we can't fight back. And I guarantee you, folks, there's no escaping this. Don't think that you're living now farther away from D.C. or Atlanta or L.A. or San Francisco, that it's not going to follow. It follows. This is not very heartening news, Jason Rantz. <laughs> What's killing America inside the radical left's tragic destruction of our cities is his brand new hardcover book. This book hits uh, the shelves tomorrow. You can pre-order it now and get the guaranteed price uh, I'm looking at Amazon.com, but you can get it wherever you want to get your books. Again, what's killing America inside the radical left's tragic destruction of our cities? Jason Rance, I know that uh, you can't give everything that's in the book away. You got to leave us wanting more. But um, give everybody listening um, a, a good synopsis of you know what they're going to take away after you know going cover to cover on this book. I think what people will take away first and foremost is they're going to be disgusted and astonished at what's been going on that they didn't know about, Inclu myself included. Like when I started to do the research into my immigration chapter, just hearing some of these horror stories that people in this country experienced or going into education and gaining access to a whole bunch of secretly recorded videos and audio clips of teachers, like what they were saying, I was blown away. And I, I have a fairly high bar of what shocks me because I do this for a living as sure. do you, right? We're, we're surrounded by this stuff. Yeah. Usually when you're I get disappointed, shocked, but not surprised. <laughs> exactly. So when I get shocked, I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is bad. So I imagine people will take that away then I'll be honest, they're going to get angry. They're going to get angry that this is happening without their permission, without their consent. But then ultimately, I think they're going to feel optimistic that they can now do something to change the direction. We are not too far gone. Well, I think there's some cities, I, unfortunately, I think San Francisco is at this point too far gone. But understand in this book, I'll take you through the fights that mo recently the, the left took on against the radical left, because I don't think it's Democrats are the problems. I think radical Democrats are the problems. And liberal San Francisco pushed back. I just think they waited a little bit too long before they got rid of Chesa Boudin and the school board directors like they did. And what I fear is going to happen is that too many people will finally realize what's going on in their big city, small city, mid-sized city, then decide to push back. But by then, it'll be too late. 
And so I want to give people the tools that they need, the knowledge that they need to be able to fight back ahead of time. And as our, our friend Mark Levin will tell you, it's not easy as a conservative author to get any kind of promotion outside of talk radio and, and Fox hmm. News. And so there's been a, a nice little concerted effort to make sure that the books don't end up getting uh, promoted. And so please, right. again, go online to purchase, call your bookstore. If they don't have it, ask them to order it. All of that matters. And first week sales are the most important. And the book was on sale in just a couple hours. Folks, you heard it best. I was actually with the great one, Mark Levin, yesterday, the day before yesterday. And it is tough to push books out there. But when when you make some noise, people know. And if you're listening and you, you care about America and you want to share this with somebody, I recommend giving one as a gift, keeping one for yourself. What's Killing America? Inside the Radical Left's Tragic Destruction of Our Cities. Uh, I, I, I'm getting a copy for myself. I want to make sure that you guys get one too. Uh, Jason Rance, tell everybody how they get a copy of the book. So you can go wherever it is you get your book. So from Books A Million and Amazon to Walmart and Barnes & Noble, Target if you dare. Uh, they're available everywhere online. And then again, in, in most major bookstores, you'll see it. Uh, feel free to give them a call to make sure they have it uh, before you make the trek. And uh, yeah. I would appreciate it. You bet. Follow him at Jason Rance on social media. Jason Rance, you're a gentleman, a scholar, a patriot. I thank you for being here. I want you to give a shout out to Jason and Tebby and all of the uh, KTTH family for me. I haven't been on in a while. Absolutely. Uh, we will. Bet. All right. Take care, my man. Folks, there is more to come straight ahead. We'll continue with your calls and more as we move forward. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. The polling right now for 2024 for the presidential race is tied. Is that something that surprises you or worries you? No, it doesn't yet. I mean, we're a long way out, and I think uh, there is, um, you know, a, a kind of... Um, you know, looking and almost shopping mentality in uh, voters like, oh, who am I going to have to vote for? Mm -hmm. And wait a minute, I'm not happy with that. And they're never happy with what the choices are. You know, I, I've seen that for many years. Well, no, duh, Hillary. And of course, that's uh, Hillary Clinton with Jen Pacircle back Pasaki on MSNBC over the weekend. And uh, I, I keep bringing up this poll and that, not because it's, it's favoring Trump but because of how the Washington Post portrayed it when it, it, their perceived guy, in my opinion, they want things to look favorable for Democrats most of the time. And when they don't, I believe it's because they're, it's the beginning of a hit job. It's not honest journalism. They don't really do that. And even though they, they did it, they had to put a caveat on it saying, well, you know, it, it's an outlier and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, something Jason Rance mentioned too is that um, – while it is an outlier, it is um, definitely what they want people to know. There's a lot of concern with Democrats over Biden, and and you're starting to see it in polls. And I think it's it's uh, it's encouraging to me because I'm seeing it at all different levels. I don't always get to speak with everybody, but the people that I do speak to, I just ask. And you know, I have a friend, a friend I've known since high school. She's uh, been my uh, attorney in the past, and. Um, 
every now and again we'll talk. We don't see eye to eye on anything. Matter of fact, she was an attorney for an organization that uh, represented Black Lives Matter, but she's a, a very old friend of mine. And every now and again, we'll talk about politics. And something she mentioned to me was, <clears throat> you know, I said, well, what about your guy, Joe Biden? And she said, please, that's not my guy, all right? She's like, seriously, we don't need people that old in the White House and blah, blah, blah. And she had been concerned for, for a long while about his age. I'm talking maybe like two, two and a half years ago. So it, this is a real thing that's affecting um, liberal Democrats, progressive Democrats. There's, there's a lot of disdain out there, and people are concerned. So we're going to see what happens while we're out there shopping. And, and by the way, Hillary, that's exactly what you do. Right. You're always shopping for a candidate. You want to see who's going to really be the best representative of your values in the White House. That's literally how voting works. That's why we campaign. Anyway, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk health care, the headlines, your calls and more. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't move a muscle. It's Rich Valdez. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And our phone number, if you want to join us on the air, feel free to join the program, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is our number two. If you're just joining us, welcome. And you've got families that are in crisis as the cost of specialty drugs continues to go up. And we're going to dig into that. But it reminds me of how 
Joe Biden's out there. And whenever people push back, oh, because inflation, you're not doing great on the economy. He starts with it's working. I mean, his little whisper campaign saying the Bidenomics is great. And then they'll, they'll start talking about how they're working diligently to lower the cost of insulin and this, that and the third, which are important and and great. But they don't address the issues that are that are being you know presented. Now, Karine uh, Jean-Pierre, she goes off on a tangent talking about drug prices and everything else under the sun about Bidenomics, saying that, no, 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 we're bringing prices down on just about everything. Listen to this. This president has been so zeroed in, so laser focused on lowering costs for Americans. And we've done that. And a lot of the a lot of the policies that the president has put forward are indeed popular. I mean, Bidenomics is has worked so well that you have Republicans in their own districts, in their own states, taking credit for things that the president pushed forward, policies that the president has pushed forward, legislation that they didn't even vote for. If you think about the American Rescue Plan, the Inflation Reduction Act. <laughs> I don't know where to start. This president is so zeroed in, she says. I'd say this president is a zero, but uh, popular, popular policies. I don't know which policy is popular of Joe Biden's. Um, he's losing by 10 percentage points to Trump in this poll that came out yesterday. Uh, I think he's underwater by almost 70 percent, 60. I think it's 66 percent. Uh, of Americans don't think the economy is going well and they disapprove of his handling of the economy. So I don't know. I don't see the popularity of it. But you know what? I want to bring in somebody who knows more about this than me. She is an ophthalmologist. She's a physician. She was a congresswoman from New York. And she's our guest right now. Nan Hayworth, welcome to the program. Rich, it's a privilege to be with you. And I I guess, uh, you know, the uh, Message from the White House is, and from all the Democrats who are asked these these questions, because, of course, they're all being asked, and it is that Americans just don't understand how good we have it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't believe your lying eyes. Don't, you know, don't believe what you're experiencing in your life. Somehow you don't understand. (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah, it's not me, it's you, right? (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. It's you know, it's somehow it's always and it's always that way with our colleagues across the aisle. Uh, Somehow we haven't messaged it right. They say, you know, we, we, we haven't we haven't reached into people's fantasy lives enough, you know, and uh, managed to negate what they're seeing in, in real life, experiencing in real life. Uh, and, and certainly, uh, apropos of uh, what you mentioned in terms of our topic together, uh, Rich, there, there is, a, a, and speaking as a physician, of course, too, uh, there's a lot of opportunity uh, to do things better in terms of relieving uh, the extraordinary cost, uh, especially of, uh, of specialty uh, drugs and biologics. The, the, the things, frankly, that you see advertised on TV all the time these days, uh, and, and they are uh, costing U.S. Uh, citizens, premium payers and taxpayers uh, a lot more than they really should. Well, let's talk about these specialty drugs uh, in particular. Um, what what are what are these drugs in particular, uh, yeah. so, so that we can have a, a you know fair understanding? Absolutely. So, uh, it, as as I mentioned, Rich, if you turn on any TV station these days, and by the way, they're they're uh, amazing 
uh, medications, uh, things like mm-hmm. Umira, for example. Uh, every, pretty much every medication you see now advertised for psoriasis, uh, right. you know, for for skin problems, for uh, uh, GI problems. You know, people who have uh, inflammatory bowel disease, uh, Crohn's disease. You know, you see the, there 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 have been so many. Um, special molecules, and they're 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 big molecules that are are made by our bodies in various ways, or are adapted, uh, you know, from from molecules that we make in our own bodies. But they're you know they're big molecules. Uh, they're miraculous to manufacture. They're they're very different from what we had a couple of generations ago, uh, which were the the, the smaller. Uh, and of course, a molecule is, you know, a teeny tiny speck of, uh, of, of chemical, basically. Uh, but you know, what we what we have, insulin is a fairly small molecule. What we give for hypertension, for high blood pressure, very important medications. Most of them are small molecules, but big molecules that we use for uh, immune problems. Uh, you know, that, that of course are highly uh, prevalent and, uh, you know, we didn't have good treatments for them, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, and now we do, but they're very uh, expensive to purchase uh, mm-hmm. and to administer. And some of that is understandable, but unfortunately, a lot of it these days is avoidable and it hasn't been avoided yet. So when we're looking at the the cost of these going up, uh, I guess yeah. it's it's some of it is the the recouping of of uh, research and development that has to you know get back in since it's absolutely a more complicated yeah. drug. But mm-hmm. is that why the price is going up, or is that just why it's expensive? Is it inflation? Is it a scarcity yeah. issue? Why why is it increasing? It's a great question. Uh, research and development for any intervention medically, and I, you know, of course, know this well, and I have worked with the pharma industry uh, for part of my career. And the research and development is definitely very, very expensive. The United States has uh, some of the highest standards in the world for for evidence. Although, interestingly enough, and it's a whole different topic, but COVID vaccines. Uh, managed to skirt some of uh, some of that testing, and a mm. lot of us uh, docs have been uh, pretty troubled about that. But in terms of these biologics, they do have lots and lots of testing, um, and and that's great. But the challenge is that uh, you know, and of course we we do uh, incentivize the development of of these miracle cures. Uh, by allowing uh, patents, you know, and of course, everybody's heard of patents on all kinds of things. You know, the United States has had uh, patents on things that people invent ever since this country was founded. Uh, And that's a way of allowing inventors, and in this case, of course, pharmaceutical companies, uh, allowing these inventors to benefit from the work that they have done. And that, of course, you know, encourages others to do the same thing. And, you know, then then they too will benefit and the world will benefit from what, whatever they produce. But it's also possible for, and, and in fact, it's, it's all too tempting and it, it is done uh, for these pharmaceutical companies to use patent law to um, 
have market uh, positions that allow them to charge an awful lot of money for these medications for decades, instead of, say, a reasonable period of time, you know, 10 years uh, or so, it can be extended to 30 years when, uh, and in fact, in the case of Humira, that's pretty much the, the, the case, and that's one of the things we talk about. Um, in this um, piece I wrote for Real Clear Health. But, uh, but there are uh, competitors who would like to, you know, introduce their products, their molecules, so-called biosimilars, uh, for a lower price. Uh, and, you know, they, they should be able to do it. It's a reasonable thing to do. Uh, but for, uh, you know, manipulation of the, the legal system by the pharmaceutical manufacturers and not actual, you know, new innovation or anything that, you know, would, would warrant it, uh, these biosimilars are having trouble entering the U.S. marketplace. In Europe, it's a much different story, um, interestingly enough. And European, uh, you know, patients and uh, those who pay these things, European taxpayers, you know, depending on uh, what, how their countries uh, pay for medications. Most countries uh, have uh, forms of government support, taxpayer support. Uh, they benefit from that. But in the United States, we have not really been able to do that yet. How much of this can we blame on Biden in terms of the cost and the red tape? Uh, you know, I'd like to say everything. <laughs> I'd like to say everything because he is sadly at the forefront of a lot of terrible things that are happening to the uh, uh, to the taxpayers and workers and families of the U.S. now. But honestly, Rich, this is a problem that's been going on for a very long time. Uh, so we can't really blame President Biden for this. Uh, but what we can do uh, is. Uh, encourage all of our policymakers, uh, you know, both sides of the aisle uh, and, you know, the, the pharma industry. And again, you know, if you're in Congress, you've talked with folks from the pharma industry and it's OK to talk with the, anybody. You know, we lobbyists are part of uh, what we do, uh, but it, really to try to encourage uh, our members of Congress and our senators to take steps to allow some legal reforms uh, in the patent industry that would make it easier for uh, less expensive versions that are identical in terms of what they can do for our bodies uh, to allow those to enter the marketplace faster. Uh, and and it, there's, a, there's a great organization called FreeOp, and it's headed up by a, a, the really smart scholar, and, and I'm sure you know him, uh, Rich Avik Roy um, and Free Op and Avik Roy have written some great uh, uh, pieces analyzing just exactly what we need to do um, in in our um, healthcare. In the way you know, and look, it's inevitable. Rich, the ideal solution to any pricing problem is to open markets more. Uh, so, you know, fundamentally, that's what we want to do. But we know that the government, the U.S. government is always going to have a big presence in our health care. So there are ways that we can change our regulations to allow innovation to happen more easily, to allow uh, a variety of products that are uh, more affordable uh, to compete with, uh, you know, the, the first to market patent holders after a reasonable period of time. 
Um, and, and right now, unfortunately, we don't have that. But, uh, but if we uh, encourage uh, our members of Congress and our senators uh, to uh, pursue that kind of thing, then that'll be better for all of us. And of course, President Biden could mm-hmm. be a champion for it, too. Right, right. This is one of those things where whoever um, jumps on board first gets to win and, and take the political yeah. clout that comes and with it, it. it. And you're right, Rich. And it, it's, it's a complex subject. So it's, you know, it's a challenge for, uh, you know, the, the people who pay out of pocket for these medications really know what we're talking about. Uh, and there are folks who don't have uh, insurance that may pay for some of these right, medications they and they're paying for them themselves. And they really feel that pain. Uh, for most of us, you know, insurance covers a lot of the cost. There are some patient assistance programs, uh, but the, the general cost to Americans uh, as a whole runs into the many billions of dollars. Well, I want to uh, talk about that in the next segment, if you don't mind. And I just want to remind everybody that <clears throat> we're on with former Congresswoman Nan Hayworth. Uh, she's a MD, medical doctor, and um, we're going to talk about the this debate and the red tape that exists between bringing biosimilars into the marketplace uh, versus, you know, not doing that and how it's affecting Americans and in their pocketbooks as well. Folks, stick around. If you have a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. So the battle for more affordable options, whether it's biologics or biosimilars, continues. And the the big issue is Big Pharma wants to make sure that they make their billions because they need those billions to continue to do the research and development to come up with these wonder drugs. And, of course, competitors want to come in and and give a more affordable option. But with so many of the manufacturers of these biologics filing multiple patents, it makes it difficult for competitors to come in because they're protecting their investment for as long as they can. And I guess the question becomes, how long is long enough and too long? How do we regulate that? And that's why we're talking with uh, former New York Congresswoman Nan Hayworth. She's a medical doctor and is explaining this to us. And in the minute or two we have left, Nan Hayworth, um, how do we uh, how do we fix this? Well, you know, Rich, it's going to take, I think, uh, probably uh, patient advocacy groups, uh, you know, especially, you know, all of the the serious diseases, and there are so many uh, in this country, uh, chronic diseases, uh, you know, those uh, sorts of, uh, you know, uh, conditions that people suffer from for a lifetime. Autoimmune diseases, of course, are, are, are classic for that kind of challenge. So most of these uh, these patients will have advocacy groups. And I think really advocacy groups in this country can help spearhead, uh, you know, the kind of urging that we were talking about a moment ago. You know, we need, we really do need from the federal level, uh, we need to change uh, the way patent law works for these sorts of 
uh, medications because, frankly, patent law uh, opportunities were uh, altered <laughs> through probably advocacy by the pharma companies to make sure they could use, you know, patent after patent after patent to uh, extend their advantage beyond when it's reasonable to do so. Uh, so to to make sure that uh, when it, when insurers and patients pay for these medications, uh, that the government isn't creating artificial incentives for the prices actually to be hiked, because that actually happens the way some of our mm. uh, in, in Medicare uh, pricing rules work in the United States. It's a it's a perverse incentive. You can actually, you know, that unfortunately, uh, raising the price of, of medications and biologics can actually, uh, unfortunately, benefit uh, folks other than patients, and yet, you know, not because they've done anything better, uh, those who are hiking prices, but just because they can. Wow. So these sorts of artificial incentives on the part of government that allow uh, what effectively are abuses, you know, everybody right. wants to see innovators uh, incentivized to do more of that. You know, we all want to have a, a great pharmaceutical industry and we can have all of those things, uh, but in fact have even more innovation if we can break down some of the barriers to new uh, and more affordable versions of these products coming to market faster. Nan Hayworth, a pleasure to be with you. Former Congresswoman from New York. Nan, let everybody know how they can find you and follow you. You bet. Well, thank you, Rich. I'm on Twitter or X now uh, at Nan Hayworth. Excellent. Stay tuned. We're coming right back. America at Night with Rich Valdez. President Biden today, uh, he's at the White House. He's got some uh, uh, hip hop legends there and he, he butchers their names and he butchers lots of things. I mean, that's kind of what Joe Biden does. Oftentimes he's, he's he is a butcher of sorts and Biden's not the only politician. Earlier, we were talking about Bob Menendez and this big bribery thing. And ultimately, the, the Biden administration, they, they kind of specialize. And I'm going to really expand that to the Democrats in, in, in their entirety. Uh, and many politicians, honestly. It's not always a partisan thing. But they, they make sure they protect themselves. And right now, we've got a proposal from the Biden administration that's insulating themselves from accountability. And they're protecting the bureaucrats from ever being responsible for the things that they do. Yet with the police and with other things, they want to take away any type of qualified immunity. But they just continue to protect themselves more and more. And I want to get to the bottom of that because this is, I think, A, of import and B, something the people just need to know. So we've got special former special assistant to uh, the president for domestic policy, and he's the current uh, director of the Center for American Freedom at the America First Policy Institute. James Shirk is our guest. James Shirk, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You bet. 
So tell us a little bit about this proposal that the Biden administration is putting forward to insulate themselves and the bureaucracy from accountability. Happy to. So as you probably know, it is almost impossible to fire a federal bureaucrat. It's not completely impossible. If you jump through enough hoops and, you know, do everything exactly right, it is possible to fire a bureaucrat. But as a practical matter, uh, you can't really do it. Uh, Once or twice in a blue moon, but on any sort of regular basis, uh, the federal bureaucracy has very solid job security, and they know it and they like it. And Talk of shocks, the federal bureaucracy is made up of human beings who have their own policy preferences and their own views about what the government should do. And they bring those views you know, with them to the, the table when they do their work. It's, you know, they're human. It's, it's very understandable. But you combine that with these very solid job protections. And what you find, and certainly what we found uh, in the Trump administration, is that career bureaucracy – when they did not like the policies the president was pushing, they did not you know, simply stand up straight and salute and say, yes, sir, we'll do it to the best of our ability. They tried to undermine those policies and sabotage those policies and push what they wanted to have done. But they weren't the ones who were elected by the American people. Uh, they weren't the ones appointed by the president elected by the people. They're career bureaucrats who had a job to do. And so what the president did uh, towards the end of his term is he uh, proposed in, you know, He signed an executive order that said, look, if you're a career bureaucrat in a policy influencing role where you have the ability to shape the direction of the federal government, you don't get these civil service protections anymore. If you want to act like a political appointee, then you will get the same job protections as a political appointee. And if you try and undermine the democratically elected president's agenda, then you are not going to uh, be in your job for very much longer because – guess what? You're not protected anymore. It was a very bold move. It was uh, something that no previous president had uh, had tried to do in the modern era. Uh, Washington went nuts and flipped out. And, you know, as you might imagine, the bureaucracy did not like it very much. Uh, And then Biden, after he took office, rescinded it uh, within a few days of uh, him becoming uh, the president. Uh, Now what Biden has done is he's proposed a rule that would basically say, if Trump wins the election in 2024, he can't bring this back. This uh, this is regulation that basically says if you're in one of these policy influencing roles and you, you, know, you invoke the legal authorities President Trump invoked, well, guess what? You still have your protections. You're still you know insulated. Uh, you're still not accountable to the president and thus not accountable to the American people. It is an effort, a very transparent and blatant effort to insulate the federal bureaucracy from accountability to the democratically elected president. Well, this clearly emboldens uh, what many call the the deep state or the federal bureaucracy, the um, you know permanent Washington, as I've heard it been called. And it begs the question, why would we remove any form? And clearly the Washington swamp is not a meritocracy. But why would we remove any form of a merit-based system where there could be repercussions for not doing your job right? If if it not to cover up misdeeds. Well, I, I think broadly speaking, what's going on here is the bureaucracy and the Biden administration are very much in tune with each other. Uh, to a large extent, I, I'm sure there's individual exceptions, but as a broad generalization, the federal bureaucracy likes the Biden administration agenda and did not like the Trump administration agenda, and so they don't face the same sort of conflict in the bureaucracy. Uh, that President Trump faced when he was trying to drive change. 
Uh, to take one example, in the uh, Department of Justice, uh, they did an investigation and they found that Yale University was engaging in rampant racial discrimination against Caucasians and Asian applicants for uh, admissions. And so the uh, the uh, Civil Rights Division, the people tasked with doing over these sorts of civil rights violation, uh, the leadership decided, hey, we are going to file a lawsuit uh, against Yale University for this rampant racial discrimination. And the career staff, the career lawyers in the Civil Rights Division understood full well that winning this lawsuit would undermine affirmative action programs and racial preferences in higher education. Uh, these are these sort of racial preferences, which the Supreme Court recently uh, you know, recognized are unconstitutional, uh, are very unpopular uh, among most Americans. I mean, white, black, Hispanic, Republican, Democrat, pretty much everyone by large margin says this is appalling. But among the career staff in the Civil Rights Division, they strongly supported this sort of racial discrimination and racial preferences. And so they said to the Trump administration uh, agency leadership, we're not going to help you with this case. We are not going to work on this case. You want to do that? Have fun. We're not going to be any part of it. And so in the end, they were able to bring a case, but they had to do it by basically reassigning uh, you know, lawyers from the other divisions and using political appointees to bring it. Because the career lawyers whose job it is to file uh, you know, lawsuits to protect Americans from racial discrimination thought that this was the sort of racial discrimination they approved of and they weren't going to do anything to combat it. Now, you can, you know, for one or two cases, you know, do you know, do the sorts of things they did, reassign employees from different divisions, use the small number of political appointees. You can right. do it for one or two cases. You can't do it systematically. If you have laws that the career bureaucracy say, yeah, not so much, then the political appointees cannot enforce it for them. There's only 4,000 political appointees out of over 2 million, uh, you know, career civil servants. Uh, right. It's just there's just not enough. And mm -hmm. so to a large extent, what the Biden administration, I think, is trying to do is lock in their policy preferences. If you can't fire the bureaucracy and the bureaucracy is in line with uh, what Biden wants to do and they're not in line with you know, what a different candidate might want to do, then what that means is whether Biden wins the next election or doesn't win the next election, his policies will continue to be in place and his policies will continue to be what the bureaucracy does. Uh, because as long as the career civil servants can can say to the political leadership, eh, not so much, right. then yeah, then who's in charge? Right. Clearly not the people and, and not even the executive branch because the bureaucracy has already been protected. Uh, I just want to remind everybody that we're on with James Shirk, former uh, special assistant to the president of the United States during the Trump administration. And he's now with the America First Policy Institute as their director for the Center for American Freedom. And we're discussing how bureaucrats are protecting themselves. The swamp is making itself stronger and excluding any way in or accountability from we, the people. We'll continue to talk about that and see the role that civil service plays in all of this as we uh, continue to work through this topic. Of course, your calls are welcome. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
By the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations. Thank I had somebody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, <laughs> even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing? Are people listening, right? That's but right. You're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, amigos, welcome back. Let's go to Cumberland, Maryland to WCBC and check in with Frank, who's calling in. Frank, welcome. You're on with James Shirk from America First Policy Institute and me. Go right ahead. Uh, Mr. Shirk, I have to take issue with you that it's uh, difficult to fire a federal employee. I was fired quite easily and uh, uh, because I got on the front page of the Washington Times pointing out that black employees where I worked at the Social Security Administration – uh, had a benefit that was denied to white employees, namely a, a Black Affairs Advisory Council. Just like in Congress, there's a Congressional Black Caucus, but there's none for white people. Frank, it sounds like an easy way to get fired <laughs> in today's climate. Uh, James Shirk, what say you? Well, I, I'm curious if you filed an appeal with the uh, Merit Systems Protection Board or a, uh, a special counsel complaint. I mean, uh, or an uh, Equal Opportunity uh, Employment uh, Commission complaint. I mean, there's multiple avenues to appeal. Uh, I mean, I, I, as I said, I you know, don't know the, the full story of what went on. Uh, but, you know, it is possible to fire a federal employee. It just happens very, very rarely uh, because of all these uh, different appeal options. And it seems in the current climate that we have uh, with the, the insulation and protection that they're adding to th- through this proposal – um, it's only going to make it more difficult. Well, only in Washington do you find people who think that the the biggest problem with you know Washington right now is that there's too little accountability in government. Uh, I mean, you, you get more than about 20 miles outside of uh, the capital, and that view has very little uh, appeal. Independent, Democrat, Republican, <laughs> right? It's, right. You know, only in Washington do people think the government is uh, is too accountable uh, uh, to the people. I, no, I, I mean, uh, it, it's ironic that even if you, if you look among federal employees themselves, uh, it's widely recognized uh, that there's a problem with uh, not enough accountability for performance. Uh, the government conducts this uh, survey. It's called the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey. Mm-hmm. And they uh, conduct it uh, every year. And consistently, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey has shown a very high dissatisfaction among federal employees with their agency's failure to uh, remove uh, poor performers. Uh, it's it, Consistently, it's been the number one or number two uh, pain point uh, in terms of the issues that federal employees identify. Uh, and that's uh, somewhat ironically, uh, it was the number one or number two uh, consistent pain point. And then the Biden administration uh, removed that question from the survey at the request of federal employee unions, who basically didn't like the way that you know, people like me were pointing out how federal workers themselves were not happy with uh, the way the system was working. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, President Trump uh, signed some executive orders in uh, May of 2018 designed to expedite and streamline the uh, federal employee dismissal process and uh, make it easier for agencies to get rid of poor performers. And a, uh, a magazine uh, based in D.C., it's called Government Executive. It's, mm-hmm. I, you could think of it as like the magazine for the swamp uh, is really what it is. <laughs> uh, but they, they they conducted a scientific survey. I don't know how many people <laughs> had to survey uh, to get a representative sample of federal employees, but they did it. Uh, and they asked them, do you approve or disapprove of this executive order Trump signed? It had two to one support among federal employees 
you know, federal employees, you know, the, the hardworking federal employees are often the ones most annoyed with the poor performers because they're the ones stuck picking up the slack. And they just they recognize it's a problem. It's, it shows up all the right. time in surveys of federal employees. They don't like the system. Yet the president has all the power through the Constitution to do this stuff. So it's kind of hard to stop unless you've got the right person in the White House. J- James Shirk, just stick with me for a second because I want to take a quick pause and come back and talk about some of the work you're doing uh, in your particular center at AFPI. So, folks, don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. 8334-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America. Welcome back. Our guest is James Shirk. He's the former special assistant to President Trump at the White House and for domestic policy. And he's also uh, the director of the Center for American Freedom at the America First Policy Institute. James Shirk, what is the focus of the Center for American Freedom? Well, a large part of what we work on, uh, obviously, is protecting American freedom. And a large part of that is uh, protecting American freedom uh, from the federal bureaucracy. Uh, you've got the administrative state, uh, which to a large extent is handing down you know, rules and uh, dictates you know, governing how Americans live with very little accountability to voters elected representatives in Congress. Uh, you have a federal bureaucracy, which uh, to a large extent, not completely, uh, and look, in fairness, there are some very good you know, federal civil servants out there who do an excellent job. I, I want to be clear that you know, they're not all rogues, but Unfortunately, you know, one rogue bureaucrat's one too many, and we've got quite a lot, you know, more than one rogue bureaucrat. And so we develop policies to uh, hold the federal bureaucracy accountable uh, and you know, ensure that, you know, the next president, if they choose to, will have the tools to uh, require the bureaucracy to carry out their agenda. Uh, when President Trump uh, took office, uh, he faced a very hostile bureaucracy, and the, the tools had not been developed uh, in order to enable him to uh, hold the bureaucracy accountable. If he'd issued that executive order uh, in, say, March of 2017 instead of October of 2020, uh, the next four years would have gone very differently. And the bureaucracy would have understood that, you know, look, you, you will you know, carry out the president's lawful directives, uh, or you can resign if you want, or you can be fired. But what you don't get to do is sit in your job and try and undermine the policies that the president was elected to carry out. Uh, you know, when you have rogue bureaucrats trying to undermine the president's agenda, it's not really the president to defy. It's the American people. Right. Right. Because the president is the one elected by the American people to carry out their agenda. And so it's it's the votes of every American uh, who cast the vote you know, you know, for that uh, candidate for president who won the election that the bureaucrats are nullifying when they say, yeah, we know better. We'll do it our way. And so we're developing policies to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And overall, the the overall mission of the America First Policy Institute, uh, 
Uh, I know you guys are a think tank and very, very proactive on a number of issues, but just tell us a little bit about it. Certainly. Uh, the America First Policy Institute uh, was founded. Uh, the, uh, our president uh, was my boss in the White House, uh, Brooke Rowland. She was the uh, director of the White House Domestic Policy Council uh, under President Trump and uh, was founded uh, after the election, uh, went a bit differently than a lot of us had hoped, mm-hmm. uh, to continue the, that America First agenda that we've been uh, pushing for in the White House and to develop policies that uh, put the American people first. Uh, we have uh, a lot of policies, unfortunately, uh, you know, coming out of uh, Washington don't really seem to be prioritized on putting America first, uh, but seem to seem to be focused on uh, protecting other interests. And you know, we're continuing that fight. Uh, you know, my aspect of it is on this uh, taking on the federal bureaucracy and the administrative state. You know, other colleagues of mine are focused on, uh, say, border security, uh, where the Biden administration does not seem to care at all about the American people and the consequences of just essentially declaring our, our border an open border and allowing mass illegal immigration. And so whether it's on uh, immigration, whether it's, you know, uh, on the economy, uh, in my case, taking on the administrative state, uh, developing and promoting policies that put the American people first. And if everybody wants to uh, go to your website and check out what you're doing, where do they go? www.americafirstpolicy.com. All one word. Very simple. www.americafirstpolicy.com. All right, folks, check out James Shirk and AFPI at AmericaFirstPolicy.com. James Shirk, I want to thank you for schooling us on what's going on. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. You bet. Have a good night. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Open Phone America's up next. Don't go anywhere. The city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. It's Open Phone America. If you want to join us on our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free to give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And in the third and final hour of the program, you get to call in and weigh in on everything uh, under the sun. Whatever you want to talk about is fair game for me and a couple of things I'm going to put out there. Uh, so today, uh, Trump made a campaign stop, and he says, oh, I like this gun. I'd like to buy one of these guns. And uh, quickly, the media swooped in and says that he, um, you know, Trump's buying a gun, but he's not allowed to buy a gun because he's under a federal indictment. And, of course, all he said was he liked the gun and he'd like to buy one. And uh, that became a big to-do. So we'll get into that a little bit later. And, uh, of course, um, the witnesses have now been named for the first impeachment inquiry hearing that's going to happen on Thursday. So uh, we'll chat a little bit about that as well. And Hillary Clinton, she's made some warnings. Uh, she's warning Joe El Mamoso Biden about third-party candidates. And that's one I really want to dig into. 
Because earlier we played a clip of audio, and I, I, let's cue it up so we could play it again, of Hillary uh, discussing with Jen Circle Back Pasaki that, you know, it's kind of like Americans are shopping around for a candidate. And I'm thinking, duh, that's exactly what you're doing during a campaign. But listen to this. The polling right now for 2024 for the presidential race is tied. Is that something that surprises you or worries you? No, it doesn't yet. I mean, we're a long way out. And I think uh, there is, um, you know, a, a kind of, um, you know, looking and almost shopping mentality in uh, voters like, oh, who am I going to have to vote for? Mm-hmm. And wait a minute, I'm not happy with that. They're never happy with what the choices are. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've seen that for many years. So she's seen that for many years. Yeah, I think everybody has seen it for many years, Hillary. Uh, Again, this is literally what we do. People are looking for the best candidate possible. And she has a warning, right? There's a warning here. And this is interesting, though, because I think this is actually a a, a very good point and is what I thought was going on from the very beginning. She's warning uh, Biden and his uh, people about a third-party challenge and that he needs to take it seriously. Now, she um, feels that she lost the 2016 election in part because of the Green Party nominee, Jill Stein, taking some of her potential votes. You know, the climate crazies might have voted for Clinton if Jill Stein wasn't in the race. So now we feel that um, or now she feels that Robert F. Kennedy may be the big threat that peels off some Democrat votes, especially if he runs as an independent after the primary. And that's an interesting place to be. So uh, I'm curious to see how this actually plays out. Uh, but Hillary is very, very concerned. And of course, new poll. Uh, I shared that with you earlier, but I'll just reiterate it just because I think it's, you know, it's just so, so shocking to me that it comes from the Washington Post and ABC News. If the 2024 presidential election were held today, Trump would win by 10 points. 52% to 42% over Biden. Uh, the respondents at a poll had a pure, uh, poor view of Biden's handling of the economy and the border, in addition to his age. Big issues. All big issues, that I think, are affecting all Americans. I wonder, who would Eric Adams vote for? Hmm. I don't know. I doubt he's voting for Trump, but I can't see him voting for Biden, right? So it's, a, it's an interesting thing, this um, RFK factor. And uh, there was something in this article I wanted to, uh, to to share with you, but it might be escaping me. Let's see if, they, if it's still there. If it's not there, it's not there. And uh, we'll continue. But RFK thinks that he hasn't ruled out, is what he said. He hasn't ruled out that he may run as an independent. And I think this is a very interesting proposition uh, because that would be a Ross Perot of sorts, potentially. And I'm wondering what you think. If that does, in fact, happen, does does that mean they tank Biden and Harris? If Biden is ultimately the nominee or whomever the Democrat is, would RFK Jr. be responsible for toppling the Democrat because of his uh, third party campaign? I don't know, but I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Let's uh, hit the phones. Let's see what we got here. Let's where are we going? We're going to we got New York City. Evergreen, Montana. Frank is back. Mitchell, South Dakota. Uh, Let's go to Mitchell, South Dakota. K-O-R-N. Let's go to Rob. 
Good evening. Good evening, Rob. Welcome, sir. You saw the, thank you. I was wondering if you saw the story about the Ford project with the electrical vehicle initiative plant there that was uh, shut down today, $3.5 billion construction project. No, I haven't seen it. But what are your thoughts on the um, the scenario we just discussed with RFK Jr. and his independent run? Do you think it's an evil thing for him to do that to um, to run or is it a uh, fair game? Does he tank Biden? Should he get out of the race? What are your thoughts? No, I, I think it's fair game. I think anybody that has a voice should be out there. I would be if uh, I was not, uh, <laughs> you know, in the situation I am here, if I had the ability to travel and get out there. Yeah, I hear that. Now, all right, so we're looking at the uh, the, the case here that you're talking about. This story is about the uh, they hit pause on the construction of a, a electric vehicle battery plant in Marshall. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, sir. And what are your thoughts on it? No securities. Well, the Fox reported that also the national security threat kind of humiliated Congress into forcing it to happen because it's exposed both the Republicans and the Democrats' involvement with the Communist Party of China. And now these bribery stories, you know, tie them into it as well. And this is the slavery aspect. And you're talking about the this plant that is going to build batteries for everybody. However, like the majority owner was um, a Chinese investor, correct? Right. It's uh, just another foothold for the CCP, the communist party to establish in the USA. And then, you know, the Mm -hmm. electrical, uh, the electronics intrusion, you know, if you know a little bit about how all those systems work in a, uh, vehicle, people are under constant uh, non monitoring. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Uh, uh, somebody that I know recently had a conversation with told me they bought an electric car, or not an electric car, a hybrid car, and even that car has uh, some kind of stealth surveillance going on where they got a call from the dealer saying, hey, it's time. Uh, I just got a notification from your car telling me that it's time for your... 10,000 mile oil change or servicing and whatever. And they were thinking, how would my car tell you? And obviously the car is communicating back to the dealership. Um, unlike back in the days where they'd say, you know, suggested servicing is at, you know, 10,000 miles, 20,000 miles, whatever. The car now tells them what's going on. You got these Teslas that record. Well, if you get your car keyed up or whatever, the car is recording everything. It's recording all the time. And I think this is something a lot of people don't know. I recently learned that modems, um, I don't know, I don't think they do it anymore because they got caught, but modems were sensing motion and were, were able to like turn on and off based on these like motion sensors and people knew when and how people were like in your house because of the movement that they were detecting. So this type of smart technology, and of course Alexa is all intrusive, uh, I feel like there's a lot of it and so much of it's being invited into the home by people who enjoy the convenience of not even going through their phone or to log on at their desktop to order something from Alexa on Amazon, and they just are able to shout it, and Alexa does it for you right away. But uh, I'm always concerned about how in China they they kind of force that on you with uh, the surveillance state that they have going on, the police state. But 
here we're creating a, you know, hey, we're, you know, whether it's the bribery of the Biden family or whatever you have, we're super sympathetic to the CCP, their policies, their products. They have a, a monopoly on the the minerals that, that are needed to make these batteries. Um, and it seems like all we do is hear about this incessant push towards making more and more EVs and trying to require them. And ultimately, I feel like, how are you ever going to get away from anybody? You know, if the cops have like a kill switch or something and, okay, like, hey, we're going to pull you over, we're just going to stop your car. You know, and I know they have some electromagnetic uh, pulse type of technology that can do that now, but it's expensive and it's not easy. I think with EVs, it would be very easy. So to your point, I think you're right. This is a play right into the hands of the communist Chinese. And putting it on pause, I think, is a good thing. I just don't know that it's going to be paused forever. What say you? I think it should be paused forever for several reasons. Uh, first of all, we have those uh, rare earth items here. The problem is, is the slave labor, that, like silver, for example. The reason it doesn't rise in value is because it requires slave labor, basically, because they can't. It's a break-even proposition. That's the problem right. with cobalt and lithium and all these things. So there's that aspect, and then there's the grid aspect where this just cannot sustain charging all these vehicles. So it's become a, uh item where they were trying to stimulate the economy, I believe, and give people like, hey, let's turn your, event- your attention to this because we're trying to shut down fossil fuels. But now I think it's opened up a national security rift where they're forced to prosecute it, whereas they were trying to use this as a way to stimulate the economy. I think you're 100% right. Excellent point. I thank you for the call. Big shout out to Mitchell, South Dakota, and everybody on KORN. Uh, we're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. The number 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. across America to the liberty-loving Latino, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Taking your calls and more on all of these topics, 833-482-5337. And uh, the last caller said that China's making headway in the United States. I tend to agree. Do we really want the communist Chinese making headway? It seems like they've doled out enough cash to the White House. I don't know. Let's uh, let's go to Brooklyn, New York, WFAS, and check in with Alex. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich. Thanks for taking the call. I, I want to comment yes, about uh, Bob Menendez, who, who also took money, but not from China, from Egypt. But but you were talking about RFK. and the Oh, you mean Gold Bar Bob. Yes, Gold Bar Bob. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I also want to comment about RFK, which you mentioned. I think sure. he's going to run as an independent, and he's not going to have, 
you know, 90 percent of Democrats voting for him like he has now in the polls in the primary, because if he runs as an independent, he'll lose some of these people. But you have a lot of these Democrats that said that they're going to they're looking for a different option because Joe Biden is not an option when he destroyed so much in this country. And so they looked around, they found RFK, who was not a typical Democrat that was running, and now they bought into him and they won't be leaving him. And he, I think a nice couple of percent of them, um, if he runs as an independent, they'll vote for him. But what has been going on here for the last you know, half a year or more with Joe Biden being the only typical Democratic candidate and the and the DNC not setting up a debate when RFK is polling at 20 percent against Joe Biden, which would say, hey, you got to do a debate. It's just typical when you see how so many people in the party are saying they want a different choice. Um, the fact that there's no other typical Democratic candidate in the race shows you how undemocratic the Democratic Party is because the handlers aren't allowing, I believe, for Gavin Newsom, Cory Booker or any other typical Democrats to get into the race. And they're saying, hey, we're the handlers. We put Joe Biden in here. We have the media under our hands. If you go into the race, which Gavin Newsom is dying to get into, we'll besmirge you in the in the media will come out against you and we won't, you know, back you up and, and you'll be over. I think Gavin Newsom is dying to get in, right? He would be in this race if he had a choice to get in. Um, and, and they're not allowing him to get in, which, which shows you how undemocratic the democratic party is because the, one of the main things in the United States and, and why it's so democratic is because we have a choice in the election and the government is, is, is put in place by the people and they're telling the voters, no, you don't have a choice. Um, but I also want to comment about Bob Menendez because yeah, what do you think about gold bar Bob? Yeah, with all the money he's made, and it still hasn't been proven one hundred percent. So you know, um, you know, innocent until proven guilty. I think of it course. needs to be applied by everybody. But if it's true that he got it's all that true money, that he, he has gold from, bars allegedly. Yep. Okay, but if he got it from Egypt and they gave it to him because they wanted to bribe him then he made a big mistake and his mistake was that he took money from Egypt as opposed to from China, as from China and he thought he'll get away with it because he's a democrat but the thing is the democratic party a lot of people there are bought out by the chinese not egypt and so if you're Joe Biden that's getting money from China or another Democrat, the DOJ is not going to go after you because a lot of people in the DOJ are bought out by China as well. And and Democratic politicians are not going to try to get you canceled like they're doing to Bob Menendez. Um, and you saw how they're defending Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. And because there's an establishment in the Democratic Party that's for China because of all the, all the money they made, but you don't have that kind of defense when you take money from Egypt. So I think the mistake he made is he took the money from the wrong country. <laughs> That's an excellent point. That's what I think. Thank you, Alex. I appreciate it. Big shout out to WFAS, our New York affiliate, the flagship where this show originates from. And uh, I think you're right. And I want to get into a little bit of uh, you mentioned um, Bob Menendez. I want to get into a little bit of his his uh, defense of himself. Uh, let me check with the control room. Do we have time for that audio now? I guess we'll play it when we come back. But uh, Bob Menendez, you know, he was out there today. And he, uh, you know, he's just reminding everybody that just like Trump, he is innocent until proven guilty. And, uh, you know, I, I thought it was interesting that he was saying, you know, that he's innocent until he, he's proven guilty, despite being indicted alongside his wife. Just imagine the doghouse you would be in if, you know, you get locked up with your wife and then you're like, listen, I'm innocent. <laughs> not, not we're innocent. I'm innocent. Uh, I don't know. I think that that one's not going to land too well. Who knows if she becomes the cooperating witness and says, no, 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 he's not innocent. It was him. Uh, or maybe he's going to say, no, 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 it was her. 
And I wouldn't put it past anybody, but I'd love to see how that plays out. Uh, we're also going to get into, you know, a um, uh, continuation of our conversation on the administrative state, the um, permanent Washington, as Cash Patel called it, uh, the federal bureaucracy and how we can combat that. And it, it's, it seems like it's unending. And I'm sure it is unending, but somehow we have to get our hands around it one way or another. And I see that we have a caller that wants to talk about nanovolts and cell phones. Um, I'm interested in getting into that as well. So we're going to get into all of that stuff straight ahead. Of course, our phone number, 866-505-4626, 866-50-JIMBO. That's the legacy line. You're welcome to use that phone number, of course, or 8334-VALDEZ. They ring in the same place, but love to give honor and pay homage. Uh, folks, more to come straight ahead. Check out our website, richvaldezamericaatnight.com, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. We're coming right back with more of your calls and more on the hottest stories of the day here on America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez. First, a cornerstone of the foundation of American democracy and our justice system is the principle that all people are presumed innocent until proven guilty. All people. I ask for nothing more and deserve nothing less. The court of public opinion is no substitute for our revered justice system. We cannot set aside the presumption of innocence for political expediency when the harm is irrevocable. To those Mendez is saying that we can't use the court of public opinion for political expediency. What is it that we're doing to President Trump? Right. I mean, it's the court of public opinion. It's the court of law. They're using everything they can, right? So he's, he's been indicted federally. So has Trump. But yet somehow for him, it's like, hey, look, no, 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 listen, I've done nothing wrong. Uh, when Trump says, I've done nothing wrong, it's like, no, 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 you're guilty of sin. Lock him up, throw away the key. Yeah, I just think it's such a double standard. Go right ahead. Those who have rushed to judgment, you have done so based on a limited set of facts framed by the prosecution to be as salacious as possible. Remember, prosecutors get it wrong sometimes. Sadly, I know that. Instead of waiting for all the facts to be presented, others have rushed to judgment because they see a political opportunity for themselves or those around them. All I humbly ask for in this moment in my colleagues in Congress, the elected leaders and the advocates of New Jersey that I have worked with for years as well as each person who calls New Jersey home is to pause and allow for all the facts to be presented. So Bob Menendez says, look, he's got a, you know, he, he, he's got, he's innocent. He's innocent. He's innocent. He went on to say things like, uh, you know, listen, um, I'm Cuban. And because I'm Cuban, we fled communism. That's my family's history. So we always keep money stuffed in our, you know, our, 
and our winter coats and stuff like that. And I always keep a couple of uh, gold bars around. So, so what if you want to call them Gold Bar Bob? Uh, hey, <laughs> I, I listen, I'm not mad at anybody for having gold bars. I just think it, when they come from the Egyptian government, because you were doing something favorable for their government as chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, I think you, you're going to have, uh, what is that Ricky Ricardo said? You're going to have some explaining to do, man. You're going to have some explaining to do. Because, Bobby, no good, no bueno. It doesn't seem like this is a good move. I, I'd love to have Bob Menendez on the program to explain his innocence. Perhaps he'll join me. I don't know. I'm going to ask the team to uh, make sure that we try to make that happen. Because that would be a really riveting interview, I think. You know, uh, We could ask him some really interesting questions, see what type of answers we get. I doubt he'll answer many because today he gave a kind of prepared statement, didn't answer any questions. Um, Bob says he didn't do it. What say you? Let's go to Matt. He's near Moorhead City, North Carolina, WTKF. Go right ahead. Hello, Rich. How are you doing today? Tonight? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks. Very good. Well, um, I have some pointers about Bob Menendez. First of all, what you just said, if you will, I'd love to hear him on your program, too, because... I know what it costs to live in New Jersey. Me too. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I had a plea there. <laughs> but um, this Bob Menendez thing, who says it's not out of his savings account? I mean, we don't know. And where's the proof it was Egyptian government that the you know the bribes? And what about the twenty million dollars allegedly that the Biden crime family bribery? What's your opinion? Well, I think that's exactly what the um, that's why he's saying he's innocent through proven guilty, which he is. And this is why federal prosecutors are going to have to prove uh, beyond, uh, you know, any reasonable doubt that this came from that stuff. Now, we had the, the former head, the chief of the organized crime section of the Department of Justice, Jim Trusty. He was on um, a Thursday or Friday and. You know, he's prosecuted a number of bribery cases, and he was saying that this indictment, uh, well, what he said was he'd seen indictments with a lot less, a lot shorter of an indictment that weren't so long and so lengthy, and they got convictions on bribery. And he's saying this one is painstakingly filled with details, and he explained why. He said, A, they want to make a strong case. B, they're looking to really make an example out of Menendez. And... And see, he, he, they want to litigate this in the court of public opinion. They want to sway the public so that they, uh, it seems like he, he's guilty as sin, dead to rights. Now, the issue I think um, that uh, I asked him, are they going to have a problem proving it? He said, probably not, uh, because they, they have a lot of information. They tend, uh, they tend to already have a, a cooperating witness, and we're hearing... Um, Menendez speak as if he's the only person that was indicted and he was indicted with his wife. So uh, to me, that's very telling. He, he hasn't claimed any innocence for his wife. He didn't say my wife and I are, are innocent. This is what we do. Uh, I didn't hear a we in there at all. So maybe Menendez becomes the cooperating witness and says, look, um, you know, and we talked about that with Jim Trusty. If you missed that interview, check it out. Rich Valdez, America at night.com. But well, part of what he said was maybe um, Menendez will use that as a as a plea to say, you know, I didn't know that they came after her to try to, you know, 
in terms of espionage, trying to get at the wife of the chair of the Foreign Relations Committee to influence her. And they were bribing her at thinking that it would influence me. And, you know, I found out when, when you guys told me. I had no idea this was going on. He may try to claim that. I just think that, you know, typically the FBI doesn't arrest you until they know what's going on. And they, when they ask you questions, they already know the answers. And they just want to see if, you can, if you're lying so they can add more charges. So I, I think that there's a lot more that, that they have that will come out during discovery and whatnot. And we'll see how it goes. But I don't think they would have brought a second case against Menendez after the first one, uh, which was also lengthy, ended in a hung jury unless they felt that they had him dead to rights and that they could nail him. So we'll see how it goes. Again, he is Menendez. He's an extremely skilled politician. He's a very smart guy. Um, I'm not a fan of his, but I can tell you, you know, he knows his way around courts. He knows his way around politics. And he's 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 adept at navigating the swamp. So we're we'll see what happens there. But the, the idea that it's it's expensive to live in New Jersey, so I've got my gold bars just hanging out in my house, or you know I keep loads of cash stuffed in my jacket, or whatever the case is. Again, I I, I imagined that he was going to use these types of defenses because I would, right? What would you say if the, hey we found a ton of cash? Oh, you know I, I like to go out. I don't know. I like to go buy things in cash. Wh- whatever the story is, you know it's like uh, you know uh, when kids get caught smoking weed, they're like no no. Uh, why do you got rolling papers? No, I, I like to roll my own cigarettes. Okay, sure you do. It, that type of thing. So I think they ultimately have to prove it, and I think they will. That's just my thought. I don't think they would have brought a second case if they couldn't get him on this one. He's not Trump. You know, with Trump, they'll bring the case. doesn't matter. They could slow him down in the election, tarnish him with a black eye. I don't think that's the case with Menendez, Matt. Okay, thank you. Um, well, you know, it's like what we said. Uh, there's nothing illegal about it, but anybody leaves money in our house, so it's an idiot. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, again, I think the illegality here is, you know, the appearance of impropriety and um, that they have they have people saying that this happened. Uh, they have uh, part of the indictment talks about him interfering in a New Jersey state criminal investigation to protect a, I think it was a real estate developer or something like that, or a builder that he had some uh, arrangement with. So there's a lot more that's in there. And again, it's a, it's a lengthy indictment. I haven't read it. I, I skimmed through it the day it came out and uh, the day we discussed it on the air. And I'm curious to see how it plays out as well. I don't want to see an innocent man go to jail, but I, I definitely want to see a corrupt politician be held accountable. It's about time. Thank you, Matt. Folks, we're going to continue with your call straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Valdez, you have one of the greatest shows that radio has ever had. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 
That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. That's Valdez with an S. So last week or a week before that, we spoke about how the IRS has these armed agents now, uh, part of the uh, 80,000 new agents or 88,000 or whatever the number is. And uh, I take an exception to that from the initial proposal of that. And in a training exercise, two of these guys that um, it was originally speculated that they weren't going to have the same type of rigorous training that most federal law enforcement officers have, that they were taking people. And there were some videos going around that I thought were a parody, but there were some really, you know, um, out of shape looking people that didn't look like law enforcement professionals. And I said, man, they're going to give these people guns. And they were there playing with guns, using them the wrong way. It, it just didn't look right. And I thought, man, somebody's going to get hurt. Well, we found out that, you know, uh, one agent shot another agent and killed him. And, and that was horrible. And it's still horrible. And today, out of Fulton County, an investigator for District Attorney Funny Willis accidentally shot herself in the bathroom of the courthouse. Listen to this. An investigator with the Fulton County District Attorney's Office shot herself by accident while inside the county courthouse on Friday. <clears throat> Crazy. Uh, the same courthouse where President Trump and his co-defendants were recently arraigned in Georgia on the bogus charges that they put against them, the RICO racketeering charges. Uh, according to authorities, the investigator accidentally shot herself in the leg while inside the fourth floor handicapped bathroom stall. Unbelievable. How do you do that? She was not critically wounded. A Fulton County Sheriff's Office deputy responded and administered aid until EMS arrived. The Sheriff's Department said in a statement, there was never an active threat at the courthouse. No, she was the, the only threat was this investigator to herself. On whether or not criminal charges would be filed, former prosecutor uh, Ash Joshi told the post-millennial that it was an accident. Uh, the shooting was an accident. So there's no intent to commit a crime. Unfortunately for the investigator, she was the only one who was shot. Uh, well, I wonder why that would be unfortunately. I guess it's unfortunate that she got shot. It, may, it almost sounds like, unfortunately, she's the only one that got shot. <laughs> Should we have shot somebody else? Anyway, uh, the Atlanta police said the investigation remains ongoing. The employee's name has not been released. Of course not. Uh, why would we release any of that information? Nobody wants to know who the cop that shot herself in the bathroom is, right? <clears throat> anyway, crazy stuff. Um, where else are we going here? There was um, Biden on climate change. Not interested. Um, here's a good one. This is one I wanted to share with you a little earlier. Um, I'll do that in, in maybe in the next segment because we got a couple of callers I want to get to. Let's go to... Sedona, Arizona, listening on KFNX 1100 in Phoenix. Let's go to Pat. Pat, how are you, sir? Just fine, Rich. As always, a great show. Oh, you are you. the man, I'll tell you. I it, you know, it, it, it seems like, you know, you bring up a good discussion about what are we going to do with these guys? How are we going to prosecute them? How are we going to get them? They're, they're folding uh, one layer after another of protection. Well, let's put it this way. You're talking about the and federal they, bureaucracy now, right? Yes. Like mm -hmm. you were talking about how they're they're trying to get all the things that makes them uh, immune from prosecution. And I, I'll tell you, 
<laughs> and also <laughs> immune from getting fired. Fired? Oh, yeah. But everybody knows that. I mean, it's been like that for I don't know how long. I mean, it you know, it's ridiculous. But, I mean, uh, these people, they do it. Now, I want federal employees who, are, who probably are listening that I believe not a very small percentage of them are these people. These people are in key positions. They're higher ups. They, they, they're, they're probably good at harassing people and scaring them for their jobs. There's a lot of people in because there's a lot of whistleblowers. So that means there's got to be very good people in the FBI, the CIA, the DOJ. I mean, and the higher ups. No, I mean, they're all corrupt. And I tell you what, they're not going to get away with it, Rich. They're not going to get away with it. Eventually, this dishonesty in criminality will decay them away. Their families I hope will you're fall right, because I, I tend to think you're right in, in so much as I think there's a lot of people that say, hey, look, I want a good job. I'm, I'll, I'll serve my country. I'll work in the federal government. Why not? Sounds like a good deal to me. And and, and they're. There are a number of people in, in life that I've encountered, the majority, in fact, are apolitical people. They don't care about politics. They care about sports. They care about their kids. They care about anything but politics because, A, they don't trust crook A or crook B, the crook from the red team or the crook from the red, the blue team. And, and that's just how so many people look at things. It's why our voter turnout is, is always so minimal in a country that has you know way more registered voters <clears throat> or even people that are eligible to be registered as voters, then actually turn out on on the, on the presidential elections, let alone any other election. So uh, I, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of good people out there, and that's why you see so many people that are, you know, fulfilling their patriotic duty to say, you know what, if I see something, I'm saying something. And I think there'd probably be more whistleblowers, but for the fact that people are afraid to lose their job. They're afraid to be marginalized or even worse, keep their job, but be miserable in it and be, you know, sent to the uh, quote unquote Siberia of the federal government. And I think that's a reality. Anyway, Pat, I appreciate you listening in. Always a pleasure to hear from you. A uh, big shout out to everybody in Arizona. And uh, we're going to continue our conversation straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's the speed round. Let's go to Scott Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Scott, go right ahead. Uh, Rich, the uh, Menendez earlier today said that he took this money out of his bank account, this legally earned money over 30 years. If that's true, it will be easy to prove because currency has dates on it as like a series and it's right. signatures from the so if he has old current stacks of old currency that'll be easy to prove or disprove and i'd also like to mention what they found in his freezer you know what they found what? A lasagna so from carmela a lasagna from carmela soprano 
That was a little thank you. And it had a nail file inside, just in case, Bobby, just in case Gold Bar's Bob gets a, gets locked up. There's a little nail file in there from Carmella. Oh, that's good, Scott. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Oh, that was good. Frank Evergreen, Montana, KOFI. Go right ahead, sir, quickly. Okay, certainly. I want to just say that lithium batteries are alkaline batteries. Lithium is an alkali, and it's uh, there's lots of it in Montana, just thousands of tons of it. And we have these alkali flats areas in, in eastern Montana. Mm-hmm. You can't drink the water. It'll kill you. And the average age of someone back in those days in the 1800s was probably 21 years old because there weren't very many wa- water wells in those days. But it's so. Uh, so you're saying uh, we could it's, it's we could uh, mine that stuff and make our own electric car batteries? Yes, indeed, and uh, and basically, it's uh, crystal, cell phones or crystal radios. You, and, you know, it's a, a good point with that. I think there's so many resources that the United States has. I mean, the California Gold Rush happened here, right, California. So I mean, there's so much natural resources in our country, and yet this administration seems to not want to pursue any of them in favor of helping China, in favor of importing oil and other forms of energy. And it it bewilders me every day. Frank in Evergreen, Montana, KOFI, thank you. Hasta la próxima. Take care. Good night. And God bless. I am Rich Valdez. We'll do it all again tomorrow. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.